Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. The win of the season. We were gone for a while. Things looked a little shaky, but we're back. It's a uh, drive home edition of the Rico. The Mets pull off, I mean, a stupid victory. The victory we've been waiting for. The win we've been thinking about. Hey, maybe this is the game they come back and win. Maybe this is the game that turns the season around. Now, I don't know if it's going to turn the season around, but at least for this moment, what a hell of a victory over the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, I don't have my scorecard in front of me. What did we win this game? Eight to seven? Was that the final score off? Eight to seven was the final, yes. Eight to seven, bitches! And I, and I don't know why. I don't know why. But from the moment that Alvarez hit the three-run home run and pointed, he pimped the crap out of that, which we'll get to. I had this odd confidence in a frozen city field with about a thousand of my drunken friends. I had this weird feeling that we were going to find a way to win this game. Even when Robertson gave up the hit to Harold Ramirez, even when he gave up the hit to Lowe to tack on the second run, I don't know why. I don't know why. I can't explain it. But there was a part of me that said, we are inevitably going to win this freaking game. This, this team had fought too much after looking lifeless for the first six innings, seven innings. I just, I don't know why. I thought that something magical was going to happen. For a second, I thought it was going to be Lindor. I thought he was going to be the guy after, after the McNeil bloop single. But then it had to be Pete. Because I was already starting to rack my brain throughout this game about how shitty of a season Pete Alonso has had despite the home runs. Like, it started to go through my brain tonight. Because remember... He set the tone for this game by grounding into that double play in the first inning when the Mets were set up with first and third. So my brain was already in motion thinking about how, well, you know, Pete's at 13 home runs, but it feels like all of them have been meaningless, or at least most of them have been meaningless. So I started thinking, Pete, I started thinking to myself, all right, I know what I'm doing when I can't sleep at night. I'm going to go through every goddamn home run Pete hit. I'm going to find out how meaningless they were. And then we're going to destroy him on the next Rico. But you know what Pete said? Pete said, and I'm talking about Alonzo, not Uhoff. Pete said, shut up, redhead. I'm going to hit the biggest freaking home run of the season. And boy, did he ever. Now, a couple of things. There's a lot to get to here. Uh, we'll get to Buck Walter, who completely mismanaged this game midway through. We got to throw some bouquets at Kodai. Kodai Sangle was utterly brilliant in this game. Other than those back-to-back doubles he gave up in the fourth inning, the guy struck out 12 guys. His fork, his ghost fork was nasty. 
He was popping the fastball at 97, 98. He was brilliant. And as a throwaway line on the air today with Craig, you know, I was kind of bemoaning the starting pitching, how that, along with the offense, obviously, has been their biggest issue. And I said, you know what I want tonight? I want six innings, one run from my guy, Kodai Senga. And he delivered it on the dot. Six innings, one run. He strikes out 12. Yeah, they're losing one nothing, and the offense looks lifeless, but it was one of those rare days where we can't blame the starting pitching. We can't kill the starters because Kodai Sangle was the freaking man. But what I didn't realize was that the death that I thought we were going to face was going to come from the bullpen because the bullpen was absolutely awful in this game. First, you got Jeff Brigham giving up a run. Then you've got Adam Adovino. After Alvarez hits the home run, too. So after Alvarez hits, no, I'm sorry, not Alvarez, uh, Mark Vientos. I don't want to jump ahead to myself. When Vientos hits the home run, which was, it was a home run that sort of pissed us all off. Let's be honest. Vientos hits a home run. We're excited. It ties the game up at two. We're feeling good. But isn't there a part of all of us that's cursing out Billy Epler, saying, you dumb son of a bitch, why was this guy not here for a month? I know you were thinking that off. Yeah, that, that, I've been, I was saying that all day, dude. And then as we get later in the game, too, I'm just sitting there going, I hate Billy Epler. <laughs> that's that's all I keep on thinking in the back of my head. No, I know. Even, even when Vientos hits the home run, which I thought I really didn't think was going out off the bat. I thought it was going to be tracked down by uh, by the center fielder. And it just kept drifting and drifting and drifting. And then he made that leap and it went over. But. Yeah, like I'm pumped up Vientos hit the home run because the offense was limp the entire night. But all of us are thinking, Billy, why was this guy not here three weeks ago? But Adam Adovino throws the cold rug on it by giving up the runs in the eighth inning. Buck had nobody warming up in the bullpen, which I would have been wrong about because Adovino, after giving up the two runs, was actually able to get out of it. I thought it was going to look worse than it turned out to be. But the bullpen was just awful. From Brigham to Adovino to, I guess, a degree, David Robertson. This was not, wait, who am I forget? Oh, oh, Steven Nagosik. I can't forget that. Because that was the other thing that ticked me off. Yeah, you're down by two runs. I understand. But I think when you need wins, and Robertson has not pitched that often recently, even down by two runs, don't you go to David Robertson in the ninth inning? At least that's what I thought. Instead, he goes to Steven Nagosik, who throws 150 pitches, basically in that ninth inning. The Rays tack on another run, which made me think, okay, great, we're going to score two runs in the bottom of the ninth inning, and that insurance run Nagosik gave up is going to be the killer. So the bullpen was the horror show tonight, which has really not been the case for the most part this season. The biggest issue pitching-wise has been the starters, but from, uh, from Brigham, to Adovino, to Nagosik, a run, two runs, a run, and then we have Francisco Alvarez. And off the bat, and they got lucky that inning too, because think about it, Daniel Vogelback basically doesn't swing his back great, he draws a walk. Starling Marte, who had no shot in that at-bat against Jason Adam, he, um, I'm sorry, I was about to maneuver off the highway, because here we go again, there's freaking traffic on the Whitestone Bridge. And I saw the traffic, so I'm like, okay, let me get on the service road like I did last night. But the guy behind me was not going to let me in, and I did not want to have a drive-home reaction, Rico Bronya accident. Uh, While I'm sure that would get a lot of downloads and it would make people laugh, 
It would not make me laugh, especially if I ended up dead. Hoff, I, I do give you permission to post it anyway. I'll just let you know. Like if I if I died tragically in a car accident while recording the Rico, I do give you permission after you speak to my wife and pay your condolences to post the Rico Bronya. Because I'm sure that would get a lot of downloads and maybe that'd get you a bonus or something like that. But I'm good. No accident. I'm just going to sit in traffic now and deal with this crap. Because again, like you told me last night when we recorded it, there's traffic on the Whitestone. What the hell am I going to do? Anyhow, uh, we get lucky because Marte gets hit by a pitch, which, I mean, uh, thank you. Thank you, Sterling Marte. I hope he's okay. That was after Vogelback draws the walk, if memory serves correct. And then eventually we get Francisco Alvarez. And we get Francisco Alvarez. Think about this. We got the big guys back to back to back down by three runs in the ninth inning. We got Brett Beatty as a pinch hitter. He strikes out. We get Mark Vientos trying to pull off the magic again. He pops up. And then we get Alvarez. So we have the three guys that we pine for at different times this season coming up as the tying run in the bottom of the ninth inning against Jason Adam. And it was Francisco Alvarez who got run on all night tonight. And it's not all on Alvarez. I want to point that out. All those stolen bases are not on Francisco. Some of it is on the pitching. A little bit's on Francisco. But I think the Rays stole six or seven bases tonight. It was insane. But Alvarez hits the absolute piss out of that ball. And my, I knew it was gone. So I'm not looking at left field. I'm looking at Francisco. So I got a live look at the pimp job that Alvarez put together. I assume SNY showed it 50 times. I have no idea if Keith or Gary or Ron ripped it. Did they rip it? Were they uh, critical of it, or did they just absolutely love it? No, no. It was electrifying, okay. dude. It was like a weight lifted off of everyone's shoulders. No, no. I, I swear to God. Dude, I, I am not saying it was over the top, even though it was over the top. All I'm saying is I can see how Kevin Cash and Jason Adam and all those uh, Black Magic Tampa Bay Rays may have some kind of issue. Because Alvarez stood there, stood there, stood there, and then pimp slapped that bat into the beautiful Queen's night. And Alvarez acted as if it was a walk-off. It was not. I was, look, he let out the emotion that I have, you have, and everybody listening has. So I don't expect the Black Black Magic Rays to understand that. I totally get it. Kevin Nash, uh, Kevin Nash, oh my God, I'm in WCW. Kevin Cash is probably confused. Jason Adam, who has two first names, you can't trust him, was probably a little bothered by it. But you're right. Like, it let out the emotion that we all had. And for it to be Francisco Alvarez, of all people, who got run on all night, who's batted quieted off over the last few days, I thought that was freaking awesome. It was letting out all the emotion of this horrid, hard start. And then, obviously, David Robertson. I I don't want to say David Robertson did a terrible job because he obviously started in this weird spot with a runner on second and nobody out, and then basically there's a runner on third and nobody out because, again, the Rays are running on Alvarez. He got the pop-up on the infield. He gives up the base hit to Ramirez. That probably is not a base hit if the infield isn't drawn in. The problem is Vientos doesn't turn the double play, and then that single tacks on the second run. So it wasn't a wasn't a great performance by David. I would just say he was the less crappiest of all the relievers. If you compare him to Nagosik, to Adovino, and to Jeff Brigham. 
But it's funny when you put that runner on second base in the bottom of the inning down by two, a two-run deficit doesn't feel as as brutal because you're doing it with the tying run at the plate. So you're really down by one if you if you really break it down. Under the old rules where you didn't stick a guy on second, if you give up two runs in the top of the tenth, you're down by one run in the bottom of the inning under the old rules because you got the tying run at the plate. Right? Does that make sense what I'm saying or am I just punch drunk? No, that's exactly right. And, and and people don't like the new rules because of the 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 pit, but that's all Gary and Keith were talking about was with the new rules, it's not about the first run of the scores, it's the second run that really makes a bigger difference. It, it really is because at the end of the day, the Mets had McNeil who ends up in this game which made it even stupider that Buck sat him. Because my defense on the air for the McNeil decision was, ah, he's giving him a day. These guys play every day. I, I understand it. I didn't, I really didn't like Beatty not playing. That was my bigger issue because why are we sitting him against the lefty? He's shown he can hit lefties. Just DH Vientos don't play Tommy Pham. That'd be my answer. That That's my answer. You want to play Escobar over McNeil, fine. But when you go to McNeil as early as you do and he ends up getting three plate appearances, it wasn't really an off day. So my reasoning was wrong, which I own. I'll take the L on that. It's It made Buck look stupider. And by the way, I'll get to the big issue I had with Buck later. But in this bottom of the 10th, when you've got McNeil, Lindor, Alonzo, tying run is guaranteed to be at the plate. It just feels less daunting. McNeil gets the bloop single just over the reach of the second baseman low. And that set it up. Lindor had a meek at bat. Okay, fine. Heard some booze. And then our boy Pete Alonzo, Peter Jefferson, Michelangelo Alonzo hitting a bomb like the home run he hit against the Cardinals last year.